Hey guys, Pastor Bear here. Welcome to the podcast for Real Church. We meet every Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sherpsburg. You can also check us out online at www.realchurchcoweta.com or jump on Facebook at Real Church Coweta. I hope you enjoy this week's message. Um, Listen, you guys, I want to talk to you today. Uh, We're in Ezra, by the way. If you want to go ahead and start turning to the book of Ezra. Now, I know when you walked in here, especially if you're visiting, and the preacher says, we're in the book of Ezra, you're like, Old Testament. I promise you it's going to be pretty good, though. I promise you it is. We're in the book of Ezra. We've been going through the book of Ezra, and we've been going through a series called Begin Again. All right, begin again. What is begin again? Let me tell you what it is. What begin again is, is are things that we need to look at in our lives that maybe we've put to the side because we didn't do well in trying to uh, face those tasks, trying to tackle that thing, that one thing that's kind of in your, the back of your mind that you know that you need to deal with, you know that you need to address, but you kind of put it on the back burner and it's always there, but you don't really want to address it because the last time you addressed it, you failed, all right? And, and it's still there, and, and you still... Now, maybe at one point you thought, okay, I've addressed this, but then it popped back up, and you're like, gosh, I thought I was kind of over that. That's what Begin Again is. And the reason we're going through Ezra and Nehemiah is because they had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. They went back, and Ezra tells the story of them building the temple. And then Nehemiah tells the story of them coming and surrounding the walls of Jerusalem and building the walls. Now, I'll tell you, a little, little foreshadowing here, it took Nehemiah and them a lot less time to build the wall than it did for them to build the temple. All right, it did. And so we've been walking through that. And there is an incredible parallel. between. If you look at the process that they had to go through, there's an incredible parallel between the process you have to go through to accomplish that task and the process that we have to go through to address the things in our lives that happened to us or did ha- or, or we that we have done or those kind of things we we have to take a process look to that one of the things i always say here is if you'll fall in love with the process i promise you that it'll it'll it'll, it'll seem like it goes faster and it also you also will have joy in it and you'll grow which is what god wants you to do you'll grow in the process and so that's what we want to look at today. Now, we've talked about this, and here's, I'm going to catch you up to speed. If you haven't been here for the last six weeks, I'm going to catch you up. The group has moved to Jerusalem. They've established their own homes. They've come together, and they worship, and they laid the foundation. They quit because people came against them. Then the prophets came, and the prophets came, the preachers, they came, and they began to encourage them once again. They did not grow tired of doing the right thing, and they started the temple again, except this time, because they didn't grow tired of doing the right thing this time, they didn't have to pay for the temple, and the workers who were the local people there, those people actually helped pay for it, and they actually provided the materials, and they provided the workload, and so that's where we find ourselves. When we left off last week, the temple was finally finished, and I reminded you of something. It takes a lot longer than you think it's going to, to get where you want to go. We have in our minds, I I shared with you that when I was sick, um, I saw all kinds of things. I saw a miracle pillow, a miracle pillow that supposedly you have the pillow and it's a miracle pillow. I also saw that you could lose 30 pounds in two weeks, all right? 
Unless you're going to lop off my head, I'm not losing 30 pounds in two weeks. And no, it doesn't weigh 50 pounds, 30 max, my head. I saw all these things. We are in a world today of quick fixes, but here's the truth. You're never going to get where you want to go if you begin the journey and you think it's going to be this amount of time. Go ahead and triple that and be surprised when it takes less. Because that's how God works. Because, like I said earlier, God teaches us. He teaches us through the process. It's the process is where he teaches us. It's not the end result. The end result is what you share with other people. The process, though, is where he teaches us. And so that's where we are today. Now, I say all that to tell you the sermon will now officially begin. You ready? All right. Ezra chapter 7, verses 1 through 10 says this. Now, there's a lot of big names in this, and I am going to screw it up. Today's the first day that we actually, we're actually on Facebook Live today. So the whole world's going to hear me say some of these names. Many years later, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of Persia, there was a man named Ezra. He was the son of Sarai and the son of Azariah, son of Hikai, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahubatub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Meroth, the son of Zerariah, the son of Uzai, the son of Bukai, the son of Abishua, the son of Phineas. Isn't that like a cartoon, Phineas? Where's Ferb? The son of Ferb, no, he wasn't. The son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the high priest. Now, let me ask you guys a question. Why did he just say all that? Ezra's the one that's writing this, by the way. Why did he say all that? Why did he say it? Let me tell you why he said it. Because Aaron was the high priest. Aaron was the original high priest. Do you know what Ezra wants you to know? He's going back. Ezra, in the story, Ezra is going back. He is going back, and he is going to show you he is in the line of the high priest. So you take his relatives, all right, and you go back, 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 and you come to Aaron. And he's telling you, hey, listen, I want you to understand something. I am in the line of these high priests. What does that tell you? It tells you this. I have the authority to tell you what I'm going to tell you. That's what it says. The same thing happens when you read the Gospels. The Gospels have a lineage. When you, when you open up some of the Gospels, they have a, a literal lineage that goes all the way back to Adam and all the way through to Christ. It's the same, it's the same concept. And then he says this. This Ezra was a scribe who was well-versed in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given to the people of Israel. He came up to Jerusalem from Babylon, and the king gave him everything he asked for because the gracious hand of the Lord of God was on him. I want you to hear that. The gracious hand of the Lord was on him. Don't forget that because that's the whole point of today's message. You ready? Some of the people of Israel, as well as some of the priests, Levites, singers, gatekeepers, and temple servants, traveled up to Jerusalem with him in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes' reign. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in August of that year. He had arranged to leave Babylon on April 8th, so it took him about four months, just like the people that came originally. The first day of the new year, when he, uh, and, and he arrived at Jerusalem on, uh, on August 4th. For, here it is again, the gracious hand of God of his God was on him. This was because, and here's, here's the sermon for today. You ready? This was because, well, why was it? Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of, of, of the Lord and to teach those decrees and, regula and, and regulations to the people of Israel. He had determined to study, he had determined to obey the law of the Lord, and he had determined to teach those degrees 
and regulations to the people of Israel. Some things you need to know about this text. Between chapters 6 and 7, 58 years have passed. All right? Now, if you were just reading along in your Bible, you wouldn't know that. You, you wouldn't understand the thing. 58 years have passed. And Ezra has decided that he is going to go back and going to see how things are going and begin to teach and strengthen up the people there who have gone back. This was the second trip of the people of Israel. Remember, the first trip was Zerubbabel and his whole, and Joshua and his whole group that went back to build the temple. Well, this is going to be the second trip from people that are going to go back and they're going to check on how things are going in the land. And that's where we leave off. And so he's going back and he's telling you that the hand of God was on him. And then it defines why the hand of God was on him. And it's verse 10, which is what I said before. This was because Ezra had determined to study and obey the law of the Lord and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. Here's the question I have for you today that I want you to answer. Here's the question. Do you, do you want, do you want the hand of the Lord to be on you? Do you want the hand of the Lord to guide you? Do you want the hand of the Lord to counsel you? Do you want the hand of the Lord to direct you? Do you want the hand of the Lord to bless you? Do you want the hand of the Lord to, to be with you and to comfort you in times when you need comfort? Do you want those things? That's the question I have for you. And of course, I don't know anyone here that's going to say, no, nah, bro, I'm good. I don't need it. I got a good job. I don't need it. I don't need the hand of the Lord on me. More than likely, if you're here today, you're either here because your parent drug you by the ear and, and, dragged, and drug you here, or you're here because you want the hand of the Lord to be on you. You want the favor of the Lord to be on you. Well, the one thing I love about Scripture is this. It's very simple. It's very simple that, that the way you have the hand of the Lord on you is very simple. There's three things, and Ezra lays it out in verse 10. And today, we're going to talk about those three things. A lot of times, well, here's what we do as, as followers. We, and this is one of the reasons it kind of bugs me with, with some churches, is they, their whole focus in some churches is to get you down here at the altar and to get you saved, all right? Is to get you saved. That's their whole focus. And listen, there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with evangelism. There's nothing wrong with making sure people come and have a, have a working knowledge of Christ. There's nothing wrong with people saving people from what Scripture defines as the fires of hell. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Let me tell you where the problem comes in. The problem comes in, and I have a feeling that a lot of you guys are like this. The problem comes in in that when they get you down here and they, you give your life over to Christ, you then get moved to the side and you get mixed up into the bigger, bigger church itself and then they're on to the next person that they're trying to get down to the altar. And it's over and over and over and over again. You've noticed this about me probably. I'm not an evangelist, okay? I'm not an evangelist. I can tell you. I can tell you how to get saved. I can do that. I encourage you to do that. I do. My gifting is in discipleship. My gifting is in teaching. My gifting is you giving your life to Christ and then coming and then you learning and growing 
That is where, that is where there's a key missing here. It's why there's a lot of people who are growing up in churches who are baby Christians, who are 35, 45, 55, 65, 75, 85. You know, a lot of times, I'll get on a soapbox here for a little bit, a lot of times we wonder why so many churches get a bad rap. Do you know why so many churches get a bad rap? Can I tell you why they get a bad rap? Because you've got people in authority in churches, sometimes they're called deacon, elders, whatever you want. you got people who oftentimes what they want, what they do is, is they are baby Christians, and no one, because they're 50 years old, no one is bold enough to say, hey, bro, you're immature in your faith. We let baby Christians lead things, and we expect them to lead us in a way in which God says when they don't even know God's word. Yes, they've submitted to God's word. They've submitted to his, his authority, but they haven't actually learned and studied God's word. And oftentimes what we do is, is we think that things are going to turn out right if Mr. So-and-so or Miss So-and-so is in charge just because they ran a successful business. That's the problem with a lot of churches. That's why we get a bad rap. Because the illiteracy of the scripture within our church congregation as a whole, not just us, but church as a whole, the illiteracy, the lack of knowledge is huge among churches. It is. That's the reason why. There's a reason why. There's a reason why we get a bad rap. But the scriptures makes it very clear. And I'm already into my first point, so I'll go ahead and tell you what it is. In order to begin again, in order to have God's hand on you, you have to learn it. You have to learn the scriptures. You have a responsibility as a follower of Christ to learn the scriptures. You do. You have a responsibility to learn the scriptures. Let me tell you a story. This is so funny. I was at a, another church, and, uh, and we, that church for years and years and years had done Advent. All right? Advent. During Christmas, the four weeks between Thanksgiving and Christmas, Advent. And they go through one topic after another. It's the same thing every year. They have different sermons, but the topics are always the same. It's the Advent season. And this guy, and, and we decided that year that we would let different pastors, the, the, the four different pastors, each do a, a sermon, but we did not do the Advent. After week one, I was the lucky one that got to preach the first one. After week one, this gentleman came down front. He said this. He said, why aren't we doing the Advent? And I said, oh, yeah, well, like we said before, what we decided to do is, is each one of the pastors are doing their individual sermons. It's kind of, it's, it's together, but we're doing individual sermons. I, I heard all that. I want to know, why are we not doing the Advent? And I was like, well, uh, you see, we decided, as I, I heard that, and I said, well, you know, you, you realize, listen, here's what I know, that's what he said. I know that I want sermons that comes from this right here. And Advent is in this right here, and that's what we need to be doing between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Right here. I want it right here. The only problem with that is, is that Advent isn't in this right here. Advent didn't come around until the 5th century A.D. 
And Advent never really was a church-type thing. It was more about baptism that was happening in January. And, a, and they decided that it, the word Advent actually means the arrival, the, 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 the following, the coming. And, and what happened was, was in the 6th century, they decided, hey, we're, we'll, we'll transition this from the January baptism stuff to talk about Jesus. And then down through history, you had the four topics. And unfortunately, I had to tell that guy then. I said, you know, the Advent's not in here. Wow, yes it is. I said, I'll tell you what you do. Go home. When you find it, call me. I'm still waiting for the call. It's been six years. He's not going to find it. Why is that? Well, because oftentimes we take tradition and make it Scripture. And it's not Scripture. It's not at all. It's not scripture. I was, uh, it, it's interesting. I, uh, I, have a, I have a real passion for the word. I do. I have a passion for the scriptures. I can be kind of a nerd when it comes to that stuff. Uh, I like researching. I like studying. I like learning all these new things. And you guys, oftentimes I can get kind of obsessed about that. And so I get kind of sensitive whenever someone you know, whenever, whenever someone comes up and, and wants to tell me all these things, I'm like, dude, it's not in there, man. I hate to bust your bubble. I hate to, you know, I hate to, I hate to hurt your feelings, but it's not in there. What I found is this. A lot of times, and this is the truth, a lot of times people that come to church like a whole lot more of the fellowship and the socialization and the identity of being at church that Sunday than they do the actual content of the word. They like all the other stuff, and then, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll sit through a message. You know what that's like? You guys ever been to a Mexican restaurant? You ever been? You ever been to a Mexican restaurant and you're starving? You ever been? I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about like, oh, I'm a little famished. I'm talking about starving, hangry. You're hangry. You're hungry and you're angry. You walk in, you're starving. You sit down, and what do they do? They put them chips and sauce in the front of you. And all you've thought about all the way to the restaurant is that fajita that you're going to wear out when it hits the table. You know what I'm saying? And it hits, that, they put those chips and sauce in front of you, they take your drink order, and by the time they get back, your mouth is on fire because you've eaten so many chips and salsa that you, t- you start drinking, you start, you start sucking down whatever drink you've decided to have. And then you keep talking, and they take your order, and you keep eating those chips and salsa. And finally, you're kind of full. And all of a sudden, they put that plate in front of you, those fajitas, and you're going, gosh, I got full up on the chips. You ever done that? If you say you had never done it, you're a liar. Everyone's done it. I promise you guys, they could sell that cheese dip on the street for crack, and I'd, I'd, be a, I'd be a player in it. I would. That stuff's so good. The happiest day of my life when I was walking through Sam's and I saw a big old tub of that cheese, I was like, that guy's coming home with me. <laughs> That's kind of like us with church. It is. What we do is, is we come and, we, and we, we get filled up on all the peripheral stuff, the friendships. We get filled up on all those kind of things. And somehow, and it's not a bad thing, friendships are great, fellowship's great, worship is great, worship music's great, all that stuff's great. But I want you to understand something. The main focus 
the main focus here and should be everywhere in church. The main focus is for you to come and to be encouraged by the word of God. Is for you to come and for you to listen and respond to the word of God. The main focus is for you to come and to understand and begin to have a more of a comprehension, which is why I always tell people, bring your notebook and a Bible and a pen. That's what the main focus is. Everything else is leading up to the main event. You guys, right now, we are sitting in the fajita. All right? All that other stuff's with chips and salsa. The Jeremy and them were really good, so they had like the good, they had the guacamole dip today, man. It was so good. It was like, boom, it was right there. All right, it was really good. But the main focus, and that's missing, you guys, and I want to tell you guys something. It's missing not only here on Sundays, but it's missing in our daily lives as well. Our daily lives as well. Right now, everyone here is going, man, I should have went to the beach. It is. It's missing in our daily lives as well. You know what, guys? Can I tell you something? And I want to say this with all honesty and, and, and with all care. You have no excuse today. Now, I did 20-something years. I gave my life to the Lord 29 years ago today. And I had an excuse back then because the only music we had was like Sandy Patty. And I told you guys, Sandy Patty and Michael W. Smith. That's pretty much it. And Amy Grant, all right? That's all we had. And if I wanted to get a devotional, I had to trudge my tail down to the bookstore to find one. And if I wanted, I had to find all that. Guess what we have today, guys? We have apps and iPads, and there's, there's all kinds of stuff out there. Listen, you, you may say, I just don't know what to do for my daily devotion. Let me help you. There is an app called the Bible app. It is 100% free, 100% free. They have thousands of daily devotions on there that are topical. You can go through, all, and all of it's free. It is so easy that you can set it up where you don't even have to open the Bible. It'll send you a notification that says it's time for your daily devotional. You hit it, and it pops right up there with you. And it, has, it even has a prayer for you if, you if you don't feel comfortable with that. It has everything right at your fingertips. Everything. Everything. You know what's sad? What's sad is, is we have all that, and we're the least, we're the, we're the most illiterate biblical church to date. We don't have that. We don't know that. Podcast. Podcasts are absolutely free. Did you know this? And I, I strongly say you need to do it. Did you know that we have a podcast here? You can hear what I'm saying right now on Tuesday. If you're subscribed to the podcast, our podcast, it'll automatically pop up and say, if you miss something in the sermon right here, you can listen to it again. We have that. 25, 30 minutes, sometimes longer, sorry, but 25, 30 minutes on the podcast. I listened to three or four podcasts. I listened to two podcasts this morning before I got here from Tony Evans. I do. I listen to that. Can I tell you what it's like, though? Here's what we do. It's amazing, and this is going to be the second point, all right? The second point is this. We as a church like to do this, and this is an example from Tony Evans. We like to all, and I've told you guys this before, we like to go like, like a football team. We like to all huddle up. Everybody, come here, come here. Let me give you the play. Let me give you the play. You know, crowd's going crazy. Like the coaches are on the sidelines going, you can do it. You can do it. You got your spiritual cheerleaders over there. You're in the game. You're all huddled around. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, you guys have the perfect play. And you guys get the play. And you have the play. You come here on Sundays and you hear the play. And then all of a sudden, the guy comes and throws a flag on you. Too much time. Five yards back. Gosh, we had the perfect play, man. We heard it. 
The quarterback came in and told us the perfect play. All right, let's do it again. We all huddle up the next Sunday, and we're getting this play, and we're getting this perfect play. We're ready for it. We get excited when we leave here. We're excited, you know, we get ready to go, and we're going to talk about it over lunch. And, man, he did this, and he said that. And it was a great message or not a great message, whichever one you say. And he was doing all this stuff, and we get this play, and guess what? We never go up to the line, and we never snap the ball. We just keep huddling. Week after week after week after week after week after week after week. You know why? Because not only do a lot of us not learn it, the second point is, is we don't live it either. You want God's hand on you? Learn it. You want God's hand on you? Second part is live it. Live it. I want to tell you something. If you have no plan on living out your faith out there, it's worthless for you to come in here. Okay? It's worthless. Now, I'm not one to push people away, but if all you're doing is coming in here to feel good and then leaving and then getting your feel good next Sunday, I encourage you not to come anymore. Because it's worthless if you're not going to go out there and live it. If you're not going, and I'm not saying you have to be perfect. I'm not perfect. I got mad yesterday. I know that shocks people. It doesn't shock my son, but it shocks everyone else. But listen, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. What I'm saying is, is that you have, to, you have to listen to God, let him guide you and direct you, let his hand be on you, and you have to live this thing that we call the walk with Christ. Matthew chapter 7 says this. I want you to hear it. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it is built on the bedrock. And some scriptures say the solid rock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish. It's like a person that, who builds a house on sand. <clears throat> when the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. Can we go back to the first part of that text? The very first thing it says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follow it. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it. It's not enough to listen to the teaching. You have to follow it. You have to take those tests out there that God puts in your way out there, all right? You have to take those tests out there whenever you have a coworker that gets on your last nerve and he knows you come to real church because you've worn the welcome home, welcome home shirt. <clears throat> I tell people this all the time. Listen, if you're not going to live it out there, don't wear those shirts. Wear something from Southcrest or something like that. You know what I'm saying? <coughs> Blake, can you go get me a water? Wear something from Southcrest or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Don't, uh, don't, don't, wear, don't wear that. <coughs> Can you get me a water quickly, Blake? <coughs> I'm just getting over an illness. A lot of times, guys, what we do is, is we don't do, we don't take our, we do everything else intentionally, but we don't take our walk with Christ intentionally. I'm getting ready to pass out up here, so. <coughs> I, uh, um, we don't do it intentionally. And so what happens is, uh, what happens, Blake, you can run, son, it's Okay. 
your dad's just choking. It's no big deal. Thank you, sir. <coughs> okay, I'm better. We don't do it intentionally. We don't. And when you don't do things intentionally, guess what happens? Things begin to crumble. Can I tell you guys something? If I don't intentionally give my wife attention, guess what begins to happen? Things begin to slowly deteriorate. If I don't intentionally watch my budget, guess what happens? I rack up all kinds of debt. If I don't intentionally, we do all those things. Listen, you have to intentionally, intentionally live it. You have to intentionally live it. A lot of times what we find, you know what, you know what pushes most people to start living it? Going through a crisis. That's what happens. We go through a crisis and we realize that we are actually built not on the solid rock, but we're built on the sand. And things begin to move and shake and our whole foundation begins to be, be, be t- totally disrupted. And then all of a sudden we're like, okay, I'm going, to, uh, I- I'm, I'm going to live it. And I want to tell you something else too. And I used to do this all the time. I used to read the text and I'd be like, yeah, yeah, but that was for then. Or yeah, yeah, that, the new text. Oh, when it says this, when it says that. Can I tell you guys something? Let me encourage you to do something. When the scripture says something, take it literally until you know otherwise. Take it literally until you know otherwise. For instance, Colossians chapter 3. Do we have that, Lynn? Colossians chapter 3 says this. Work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. What does that mean? That means when you go to work and you have a boss that's getting on your nerves or you have a company that's not treating you right, while you're looking for another job, you need to work like you're working for the Lord. Because the bottom line is that you are working for the Lord because he's the one that gave you that job to begin with. Take the scripture literally. When you go to work tomorrow and you walk in and you've got that coworker that gets on your nerves, you need to work in and say, listen, I'm not working for that person and I'm not working for the person that signs my check. In the end, God signs your check. I'm going to take it literal and I'm going to work for the Lord. That means you're going to do your best every day. You're going to represent Christ every day. That's what you're going to do. Take it literally. Listen, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, when it says this, work at living in peace with everyone, okay? Work at living in peace with everyone. Let me tell you guys something. There's a reason why that scripture says work at living in peace with everyone because, guys, I got to tell you something. Living at peace with everyone is not easy. It's not easy. But the scripture says work at living at peace with everyone, and it's not, it's not a coincidence that it says next, and work at living a holy life. For those who are not holy will not see the Lord. And you've already told me you want to see God's hand on your life. You do. We have to learn it, and we have to live it. You know the easiest way you can live it here in the church? You know the easiest way you can do? You know what you can do here? You can learn and live it here, it's easy. You know, you know what we do here for you? We give you small groups. That's what we do. Give you small groups. Small groups, what is that? It's a group of people that come together once every other week, and they say, hey, I need some, I need some, some encouragement here. I, 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 need some, I need a boost here, okay? Oh, really? You're having the same problem at work as I'm having. Wow. 
Your boss is like my boss. And you begin to bounce things off one another. And suddenly you begin to be empowered to live it, not only because the word says it, because some other follower who's also in that situation says it as well. We have to learn it and we have to live it. And I'm going to close on this one. We have to teach it. And every one of you guys just said, whew, this one doesn't involve me. And I'm telling you, whew, yes, it does. It does involve you. It involves you. You may say, I'm not a Bible teacher. I'm not, I'm not you know, I'm not a Bible teacher. I'm not a small group leader. I'm not a preacher. I, I'm I'm really not that, I don't, I don't do that very well. And I'm going to tell you this. You have the responsibility. Once you're learning it and living it, you have the responsibility to go and tell it and to teach it. You may say this, I don't know any verses of the scripture. Let me help you with one. There's one that says Jesus wept. That's two, the shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. It's two words. You can start with that one. So whenever you're at work and there's a coworker that's upset about something and crying, you can go over and you can begin to talk to them. And eventually you can work in, hey, you know, the scripture says that Jesus wept also. He wept also. He, he felt that pain also. That's what the scripture says. Now let me say something. That may be the only verse you know. So you may be at the store and someone's mean to you and you can say, Jesus wept. What am I saying, guys? What I'm saying is this. Whatever you have learned from God up to this point, you have the responsibility to share it with other people. If you know a little or if you know a lot, you have the responsibility to share it with other people. And I don't think I have to say this, but I will anyway. And that starts in your home and branches out from there. We all, even teenagers, we all are responsible for not only sharing our testimony, but also sharing our faith, which shares what the scripture says. Why is it that Ezra had the hand of God on him and had God's favor? Well, because he had learned it, he had lived it, and he was teaching it. And it's our responsibility to do the same thing. It is. It really is. And my prayer for you is, is that you will take that seriously. Guys, the biggest mistake you can make in your Christian walk is to always major on the minors instead of majoring on the major. The scripture is at the heart of your walk and everything else flows out of that. That's what the song says when it says, O Christ, be the center of my life. Be the place that I fix my eyes. Be the center of my life. And that's what he wants for you. And that's exactly what he wants from me. Let me pray for you. God, thank you so much for, for your word. Thank you, Lord, that, you, that your word is, is so powerful that it literally speaks to our very soul. Thank you for the fact that you 
God, that you are um, a God that loves us enough to, you don't leave us here by ourselves. You bring Holy Spirit here and he guides and teaches us and, and directs us. And God, you didn't just lay these words out and leave. I love the fact that you're an engaging God who loves us and who wants us to be obedient and to follow in your ways. And just at the time whenever we thought that it couldn't be done, you said, hey, I'm going to send an example down for you. And you sent Christ. And you said, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. Follow him. And that's exactly, God, what we want to do. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the podcast of Real Church Coweta. If you have any questions or if you would like to contact us at Real Church, please go to our website at www.realchurchcoweta.com and click on the Contact Us tab. We invite you to join us on Sunday at 11.15 a.m. at the Worship Center on the campus of Central Christian School in Sharpsburg. Also, check out our website or Facebook page for directions. Until next time, God bless and remember to love God love others, and live real.